Hey, chaps. Happy Thursday. A glorious day is upon us once again. So we're going to be continuing our sweet uh, chat that we had yesterday about geographical dominion, dominion over geographical area. Um, this whole thing of where we should be living, how we should be living. Um, there was a great uh, preach I saw, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. It's this old English uh, vicar by the name of Pawson. And he was saying, it doesn't quite matter who you marry. It matters how you marry. It doesn't quite matter where you live. It matters how you live. And it doesn't quite matter at what you work. It matters how you work. And it was a very great uh, uh, preach basically saying that the how you do something is more important than the something. The whole how thing, you know, we, we can obsess over the where, you know, we can, we can bring up maps um, and it's, it's often good. It's good to do that. You know, we can bring up maps, crime statistics, demographics, toxicity and, and pollution, uh, climate, um, uh, political policies, etc. And you can, you can overlay all these maps and be like the perfect place is Phoenix, Arizona, or well, the perfect place somewhere in Vermont, you know, whatever the thing that we come up with, I was like, I don't know any place names in Vermont, but, uh, where Bernie Sanders lives, be a neighbor of Bernie. So, um, you know, we can come up with the perfect place. The problem is you're going to move there and you're going to expect we, we, as, as millennials, especially, we have this idealization of, of magic dirt, right? Magic dirt of I'm going to arrive in the perfect place and it's going to be a Hallmark movie, you know, a, a masculine Hallmark movie. The male Hallmark movie is guy comes in from out of town, wearing a suit, hates his life, puts on a flannel. Uh, he's the, the long lost nephew of some farm guy who's passed away. So he's taking over the farm and he learns to drive the old pickup truck and now life on the farm. And it's like, that's the masculine Hallmark movie, right? We're like, man, we all want a farm in rural Vermont or Montana or wherever handed to us on a platter of like, here's you, you you're plugging into community you know you know all the neighbors you know all the farmers uh in town you know the main street uh you there's the sweet girl that you get married to and it's like yes that's gonna happen that's gonna be my amazing life when what we're seeing is in a hallmark movie is the fruit of three things the the fruit of belonging scale of ownership over time towards a constant and knowable group of people. So scale of ownership or investment or contribution over time to a knowable constant group of people, you know, and the Hallmark movie hits that without those three things, right? Because you coming into a new place, you don't know any of the people, you know, that's the great thing of, of growing up in a rural area is like my best mate growing up, my dad was friends with his dad. My older brothers were friends with his older brothers. Um, our grandparents would have known each other. Um, and then our children, you know, if I were still living there, uh, would, would be playing together. 
And it's like, you can't make that up by just arriving somewhere and being like, I'm the new guy in town. Like, let's have four generations of goodwill and b tribal belonging. It's like, you can't, you can't make that. So that's something that our generation is, is just going to miss out on, right? We can ourselves put down roots, but it's only our children that are going to in inherit uh, time with a constant group of people. Um, the, the next thing there that we can really work on is scale of ownership, scale of investment, scale of contribution. You know, um, Rob, you, you, uh, rightly cite that book, forging, uh, forging the hero where it's like he who does more is worth more, right? So if you're a very valuable man to the community, you will be, you will have a measure of belonging above that of just the guy trundling through on his fourth job application in the fifth town that he's lived in. Um, you know, the meme of the, the, the local doctor, the small town doctor, like, Oh, he's the small town doctor. Everyone loves him. Or, you know, very easily is, is the pastor coming into a new church. If, if you're well liked and you, you do a really good job as a pastor because you're, it's an inherently communal thing being a doctor as well. A doctor is basically a metaphysical pastor. You are, you are an authority figure that heals people through faith. You know, a lot of doctors won't like that, perhaps, but that is the that's the meme of what a doctor is. And so you have cult status in your community because you do more. You are you are a life and death contributor. DVG, if the place was perfect before you move there, it will be imperfect when you get there. Wham! Stay out of my place. <laughs> Keep on moving. You know, it's so true. It's like you get these perfect places and that's why people are so grumpy towards outsiders because it's the freaking Californians coming in to mess everything up. And like, we are them, you know, moving, being a refugee, you are, until you prove yourself otherwise, you are not an insider. You are not, uh, you are not party to what made the place you're fleeing to so wonderful. In other words, this place was great before you came. You better be honorable and value adding or else like you're going to bring this place straight back to the hellhole that you came from because you made the hellhole by your, you are complicit. And sure, it's like, oh, but California is 20 million, 30 million, I have many million people. It's like, yeah, but you're complicit in that culture and, and you're bringing it with you. And the same for us, you know, whatever culture, me being a little South African boy, Coming to America, you know, I have to be very careful that I don't replicate uh, the hellhole uh, that I came from uh, here by certain biases or, or pride uh, in who I am. And instead, it's like, okay, I'm coming into a place where I don't have time on my side, where I, my scale of investment is far less, where the people I know is zero. I'm starting from base. You know, I'm starting from, from, from zero on all three accounts. And so like to now expect belonging and expect communal camaraderie of the new guy. It's like, unless you're phenomenally valuable, you're not going to get it. Bohachas, hey brother. DVG uh, and Rob, yep. How's it, chaps? Good to have everyone on. So, you know, this, this thing of, of finding the perfect place. It's great if you are in a hellhole to be a refugee, you know, to be someone who, who comes cap in hand and being like, Please let me into your wonderful paradise. I wish to abide by your culture. I wish to contribute massively. I wish to prove myself worthy of this new wonderful heaven that I am, I am coming into. 
And, you know, a lot of times we don't have that choice in a community because of, of property rights. You know, it's, it's not a thing anymore of communities, you know, blocking people out through homeowners associations or uh, just overt uh, territory keeping. So nowadays it's like, oh, yeah, you can go buy the, the farm. Oh, yeah, you can go buy the house in the subdivision. You know, oh, yeah, you can just move in. But it's like, are you going to be accepted into, into, the, into the new community? And the way we do that is scale of ownership, scale of investment, scale of contribution over time. You've got to prove yourself. So a lot of, a lot of millennials, you know, if we don't hit success right off the ground, we're like, oh, this sucks. They hate me, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, over time. Like prove yourself faithful over time. Uh, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of old timers, they've been through, they've been through many seasons and they're like, let's see if this new guy's all he's cracked up to be. Let's see if, if this, uh, if this is good for us or not, you know, and, and, and they'll take their time. Rob, when you're an outsider, it is important to add value and avoid the diminishing of the opportunities and status of members of the group that you wish to integrate with. Yeah. And, and that's it. When we understand hierarchy, when we understand status, it becomes very easy to honor other people. It becomes very easy, not easy in the sense of like, we still have to do stuff. We still have to do the hard things, make the sacrifices, do the work, but it becomes easy to see how, it, you know, the, the roadmap is clearer when you understand hierarchy and when you understand status and when you understand um, that people are inherently operating in a hierarchical way. Tutumanga, hey brother. Good evening, you must be in South Africa. And um, yeah, so when it comes to, W Laser, hey brother. So when it comes to this thing of, of where to live, I, I, you know, I fall into this as well of, I would like to live in the mountains. I'm, I come from the mountains. I'm, I'm very grateful that my, my grandparents holidayed in the mountains and loved it so much that they bought a big piece of land and, and that's how my family ended up in the mountains. Um, and so I grew up there and it was wonderful. Um, you know, and, and now in America, you know, living in the corn belt where it's all flat and, and corn and, and winter for four or five months of the year. Um, it's like, Whoa, like, is this where we want to be? You know, and it's like a lot of the times circumstances play a heavy role for people in deciding where to live, you know, family, uh, often, uh, you know, if you're not the patriarch of your family, you're not going to be determining where they live. Uh, so either if you're happy to go be uh, a bit further away or if you want to live near them, that's that's a huge factor for people, you know, is where's my family and, and how much influence do I, again, how much honor do I have within my own family uh, to be able to have these conversations of, hey, maybe as a clan, we need to to think about the next three generations. You know, not, not many families can have that chat. Uh, but if you can, that's a wonderful thing to do as a family. It's like, you know, brothers, cousins, nephews, nieces, grandchildren, like, can we map out the next three generations as a clan? You know, not that we all have to share bank accounts and share a property and share uh, our lives because, you know, I know family boundaries are a huge, are a huge weakness when it comes to, to family businesses and family planning and things like that as a family. But you can get to a place where it's like, Hey, we love each other. Uh, there's, there's, there's something gained by living in a geographic area together, by dominating a geographic area together, by committing to having economic in-group preference as a clan. You know, if there's, if there's 10 cousins or nephews and nieces or whatever, and it's like we can, we can help them out and put them in business or, or use their business or, or, you know, it's like now you're thinking as a clan. Now you're thinking as an in-group of just your family. 
you know, and then we start driving up and you start finding other families that you really like. And it's like, okay, now it went from 10 little nephews and cousins to like, uh, you know, two or three families worth. So now you've got 30, 40 families who are, you know, and, and I'm talking very idealistically. I'm talking very, uh, you know, pie in the sky here. This is something that, that it starts with us not ever having, like we won't have this. We won't have this in our life. I mean, maybe we will. It would be wonderful if we can have this. But for a lot of us, we are the pioneer. We are the patriarch. And we've got to have this vision of like, yeah, by the time my, by the time my grandchildren come around, there's going to be a clan in-group economy. There's going to be a clan dominion over a local area. There's going to be a clan ownership of tons of property. And we're, we're going to push for seats of power. And we're going to, you know what I'm saying? Like there's this, this clan identity that we have been totally shamed out of and, and uh, brainwashed out of. Tutumanga, <clears throat> it could start with security. Yeah, you know, and that's a huge thing. What is civilization? Civilization is the peace and prosperity of your progeny, your people and your place. Peace comes by men of force being able to have security and laws and execute laws. And so when there's a breakdown of law, we crave security. We crave peace again, right? And that's often, it is something that is probably the best way to, to breach this, approach the subject, whatever the right word is there, with your family is like, hey, what are the prospects of, of future peace and future prosperity of our people, of our family, of our children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews? Uh, should we stay in this area? You know, and and the investment might be too high, the, the sunken cost, right? There's sunken investments in areas that are like, guys, we can't leave this. We've got too much property that we won't get a uh, return for. We won't match this, you know, anywhere else. And it's like, okay, that's fine. What are we going to do to ensure the peace of prosperity in this place then? You know, we have to become neo-Amish or neo-Orthodox uh, Jewish or neo-Indian and like start compounding and start, um, you know, sorting out what is security, what is a different lifestyle that is that is totally impervious, isolated from clown world around it. You know, do we need to learn a, a different language as a family, etc.? <clears throat> Rob, proximity to kinsmen equals strength. Yeah, it's great. So it's among food, energy, etc. starts with family, then community, community, family. Yeah. DBG, it's like David building for Solomon. He fought the bloody wars so that Solomon could have peace and build the temple. Yeah, that's the template. You know, that is the template of, David spent, you know, 10, 14 years in the desert being chased around and, and sacrificing for a vision that, you know, looked for a long time like it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to materialize. And so Solomon, you know, and there again, Solomon is the product of, of much mistake and much foolishness, but still to the point of we're going to follow, we're going to have a heart after God and and wipe up our mistakes with repentance, wipe up our mistakes with like, I'm still God's anointed. I'm still God's, you know, so even if, oh, I made a mistake, I went to the wrong place. Oh, I made a mistake with these life choices. Oh, I made a mistake financially. I made a mistake communally, whatever it is, right? We have to have this understanding, Deuteronomy 28, I am blessed. Like there are no mistakes that I cannot come back from. You know, I, I, I'm a man whose heart is after God. That's a great declaration for yourselves, chaps. I'm a man whose heart is after God. I am blessed. He will bring me in. You know, and so Solomon is an amazing template of that. Like David just made some right screw ups. And instead of getting Jonathan 
You know, Saul makes a huge screw up to, to he disobeys God's word. Jonathan is, is messed up by his father's sin. David, a man after God's own heart, never, ever disobeyed God's words to him, right? He messed up. He made some moral issues. He, he betrayed his friends. He betrayed uh, his men. Um, but he was repentant and he was always a man after God's own heart. And so Solomon just carries on having that blessing. Solomon never got what Jonathan got. It's unfair. And it's like, yeah, God's unfair because, because David understood sonship. He understood kingship. Um, yeah. All righty. So getting into this whole thing and then of um, the, the, the how we live, the, the one of the, the issues that we are struggling with in America is consumerist, capitalist, materialist sort of comfort living where, you know, again, we don't know our neighbor across the street. We're just here for a job. Um, we'll move for another job. Um, you know, subdivision, you know, uh, property doesn't, doesn't play into this very well. Like property prices are so expensive that it's hard for young guys to, to go get their own property and, and start a family and, and have space. And so, so the how becomes a, a huge thing of, of how do we get um, into a place where life becomes affordable? And we have that paradox of, well, the income is in the cities, but the cheap land is in the rural areas. You know, and so I feel now more than ever is a, a time to to try and, and bridge that gap with, with either, um, you know, becoming dropping out into the survival economy, you know, dropping out of of the slavery economy of of being in debt, being in consume consumption and just being in a cycle, you know, work your 40 hours, uh, eat microwave food, have your cars uh, on uh, lease uh, you know, just be in that rat race, you get the drop down into survival life where it's like, okay, we're going to find a super cheap piece of land that we can pay off. We're going to live super cheap. We're going to grow our own food. We're going to discipline our desires. We're going to sell all the nice cars and sell all the nice trinkets and live a super affordable, super lean life. But you're free. You're, you're time free. You're out again on the land. Uh, you know, so a lot of guys with with the homestead guys, that's the way they've gone, right? Is a survival economy, or you can you can you can bump up and go into the significance economy, right? Start a business, um, you know, sell a product or a service around your talent and your 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 skill that you know of. I'm not going to work. Uh, same, it's the same way. It's all the same sacrifices, right? It's all the same uh, change of lifestyle again where you are now in control of your time and you're now building your own business above the slavery economy, you know, so either way works, but to get yourself out of that, uh, cookie cutter suburban debt consumer life and get ourselves into a place where we are able to, we're not controlled by the masters of that place, you know? So, so, so often the bankers are our spiritual authority. You know, we, the, 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 the borrower is servant is slave to the lender. And so, you know, and, and, and again, I'm not talking about the significance economy guys, the rich dad, poor dad guys who are, are leveraging to build assets. I'm talking about the guys who are leveraging to build liabilities, you know, Oh, leased 20 new cars, leased a new boat. I'm renting my house. Like, um, you know, credit cards are maxed out. Student debt is maxed out. You are, you are subject to your masters and you just have to keep 
pushing the cycle that that you're like stuck in, you know, hoping somehow to get out. Um, and so the rural life, it doesn't lend itself to that consumption fuel. It fuel, you know, you go live in the city, you're like, man, I don't, you know, I can't drive my beta car. I can't wear these unfashionable clothes. Uh, I can't wear the same, the same jacket twice in a row. Um, you know, everything pushes you to the keeping up of appearances. And whereas in, in the rural areas, it's like driving a beta car, no one cares. Wearing the same overalls, no one cares. Uh, not going to the fancy restaurant, no one cares. There is no fancy restaurant. And so it's a lot easier to get free um, from the shackles that would keep us in that kind of bind. So where I'm getting with this is if you're going to stay in the city, push yourself up and above, push yourself above the consumer normie masses who are just, you know, video games and, and soy uh, life. You know, there's no meaning. There's no, there's absolutely no contribution to anything. Second thing, if you're going to stay in the city is to find that Dunbar number, that stable, you know, so, so, uh, factors of, of belonging is scale of, of investment, scale of contribution over time to a knowable constant group of people. And that's hard in a city, right? Cause there's so much vagrancy and so much, uh, unrootedness, but if you can find just, just narrow it down, you know, to, to 12, 40, 120 people that you can be stable with, that you can contribute your life to, you'll find meaning and belonging in the city. DBG, David even fought for the Philistines for a couple of years. Yep, funny guy. You know, he uh, he knew he knew a few things that we still struggle to to wrap our head around. You know, that's why I'm loving sitting in this book of, of 1 Samuel and just reading about Saul and Jonathan, reading about David. Because it's just like there's so many things that you're like, this does not, I don't understand. I don't have a full grasp of, of kingship yet that he did, you know. Rob, 100% on leverage, debt is a tool. It can be used to build wealth or as a weapon to destroy wealth. Yeah, you know, and that's why I say to a lot of guys now, it's like, man, if you're good at the stock market, extract every little penny you can get out of that thing. Like freaking crush it. If you're great at property development and like crush it, you know, my my big thing is like in an in in a in a broken, corrupt system, if you know how to game the system, game the heck out of it. Like go, go hard, go hard at it. Just don't get yourself burned. You know, if you're a guy who is unsure about this or not confident about it, then yeah, rather rather do things the clean way. But if if you guys have, have got skill in this and you've got wisdom on this and you've got a, an anointing for it, a lot of you guys in the economy domain, it's like, go hard, man. Go hard and just absolutely crush. All right. So let's talk about multi-generational stuff here. Um when it comes to the next, you know, let's go back, right? We are the product of 6,000. I'm a 6,000 year old earth guy. You know, that's my, that's my Greg brain take on creation. Uh, 4,000 years pre-Christ and 2,000 years since. Um, so 6,000 years from Adam uh, to me. I have been, I am the result of 6,000 years of exquisite breeding and stock selection. Um, and obviously that's a bit too, that's a bit too far of a concept to understand. So let's just go back, you know, four or five generations, you know, so 
So I know who my dad was. I know who my grandfather was. Uh, I know about my great grandfather. Uh, and before that, you know, I know the names, but I don't really know what they were doing, where they were, that kind of, I mean, I know they were in England, but I don't know, you know, all their life. So, so about the fourth generation back is where I become unrooted. I become, I become lost at sea in the great genealogy of 6,000 years. And for us to, to sit in this place and understand that I'm the product of even that, that I'm the product of four generations, you know, so of like eight different people's lives culminated in me. And what, what were they thinking about me? What were they hoping for me? You know, what were they thinking for their children, uh, for their children's children? What inheritance were they laying up for me? What, uh, what were their hopes and dreams? When we can just sit in that place and be like, it's pretty mystical, man. That's pretty meta. That's pretty cray cray. And it's like, that's a wonderful place to really just sit and think. You know, sit and think like, man, who was my great grandfather? What did he do? What did he like? You know, did he, what was his personality like? What was his, what were his struggles? Like if he could have had a journal, like, man, that would be cool to, to read through all this stuff. Like what did his friends say about him? Like, did his friends like really like him? Was he a, a part of the community? And you know, what did he do? And what are like the stories that were told about him? Old George Hatherley. And uh, what, what persona? Uh, did he hand down to his son who then handed down to his son who is now handed down to me? You know, if I had seen four generations back, I'd be like looking at a guy kind of like myself, you know, would it be like, well, this guy's kind of like me. Like, it's a great thing to think of, right? Now let's flip that over and let's go down the generations, you know, and, and let's not go two, 300 years. Here's another thing, right? A lot of guys are like, oh, brother, Christ is coming back. The world's all going to burn, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it was really funny. My wife and I, we took like one of those personality things a while back and they said on a, on a scale of one to five, um, do you believe Christ is coming back in your generation? You know, and my wife's personality is like, yes, Christ is coming back in my generation. I'm like zero, like, nope, he's not coming back in my generation. And both can be theologically supported. Both are correct. Right. And so we should live both ways, right? We should live always to account of Christ is coming back tomorrow, right? Live to account, keeping a clean conscience, keeping um, our mission, our talent, not buried, but working. Likewise, I'm also not counting on Christ coming back and crushing his enemies under his feet in my lifetime, which means I need to do it. I need to be Christ. I need to be the second coming of Christ to my generation. I need to be the sun king in my generation, right? So that my children can be the sun king in their generation. So that should, you know, another thousand years go by. We weren't the guys who were just lying on the beach going like, oh, when is God going to come? It's like, no, 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 we were out crushing. We were out being Christ to this earth in our generation. So that being said, you know, what is, what is the world going to look like 30 years from now? What is the world going to look like 60 years from now? What is the world going to look like 90 Yes, from now. And this is not dystopian Mel Gibson in a leather suit thinking. This is if I had power over a geographic area, if I had vision, if I was a clan leader, a tribal chieftain, what would my local area look like in 30 years? What would my sons be up to? What would my daughters be up to? Who would they be up to it with? 
60 years, what does my local area look like? You know, what have people said about my memory? What have people, what are people doing with my children? What, have, what are my children uh, doing with their children, right? This is the kind of vision that we're, we're looking ahead now, just 30, 60 years, right? Just 30, 60 years, a, a microcosm in the 6,000 year history of, of creation. We are incapable of holding that vision uh, longer than our TV comes on. And we're like, oh, I'm just, you know, we're just, because you won't eat the, you won't eat the soy corn syrup crap and just watch TV and blow your life out on comfort when you understand like, wait a minute, I've got 30 more years, God willing, 60 more years, God willing to enact a vision some form of Eden, some form of heaven on earth in this little local community. And, and what we said yesterday about mapping your area, right? Mapping on, on Google Maps, mapping all the places you go to every week or, or month on a monthly, weekly, monthly basis. How can I absolutely be a king to those places? Who are the people that I'm meeting? And I was even thinking that yesterday, I said to you guys, go and write down all the names of the people on all the places that you're, you're meeting in there. I would, I would reverse this question and say, how many of those people know your name? You know? So, oh yeah, I know the coffee shop lady's name. Does she know yours? And it's like, okay, that reverses it. I'm like, am I valuable enough? Am I, am I intentional enough that, that the people in my little 120 constant knowable group of people over time, they know me and my contribution? Dum, 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 w laser game the corrupt system for good is this the takeaway exactly if you're good at the game brother if you're good at the game play the game hard play the game to win wait a minute what welcome brother um jay myers welcome brother Thanks, man. That's very kind. Tutumanga, really need to get out of the cities, start growing your own food, supporting your family and building strong local networks. We need new systems so we can be independent from the technocrats. Yeah, so there's there's the idea, right? Is independence from your overlords, but not only independence. We want to build our own levers. We want to build our own institutions. There's two institutions, right? There's institutions that we control. Let's call them negative, negative and positive institutions. Negative institutions are the ones that we don't have to fight anyone for. Marriage, right? Marriage is an institution. You don't have to fight the left over marriage. You just go find a girl and get married. Children are an institution. You don't need to fight the liberals over government school. You just homeschool your own children. Uh, your business, right? Your wealth is an institution. You save your, you don't have to fight the liberals over it. You save your money. You don't go into consumer debt. You don't uh, buy the, the crap, right? There's things that we are in total control of institutionally. The Amish are a great, the Amish are a negative institution superpower, right? They understand property, right? They own their property. You don't have to fight the liberals for it. You just go buy more property. They are a negative institution superpower. Positive institutions are institutions that we have to positively fight for. We have to fight others for control over universities, banks, media houses, government. You have to literally push out the enemy who has weaponized those institutions against us, right? Now, when it comes to, to fighting, you can do it two ways. You can go internal and have an internal fight over the machine. 
you know, install the virus software of we're putting in sleeper agents. We're, we're a secret society of guys going into government and taking them, them over, uh, subverting, subversion. Or you can copy and build your own and fight it out on an institutional level. So instead of going back into Harvard and re-subverting or subverting the subverters and taking it back for Christ, we start a new school right? And you don't ever let it get subverted against that. And now you challenge Harvard for supremacy in the academic realm. So, so those are the two institutions that we're, we're looking at. <clears throat> DVG, are you talking about using faux modern day investments, example, stock market portfolios to make real investments into building a culture and cultural community that will last generations? Both and, both and. Because here's the thing, a guy like me, who's an extremist, you know, I don't have much uh faith in in stock markets but th that's because like i don't understand the game right i'm not an economy is not my domain however you guys who are phenomenal at this it's like man you're gonna have 200 300 year investments that your children are going to take over from you you know that are are going to be constantly just through the roof compounding you know so you don't want to drop instruments just because of a few radical guys like me being afraid of them, right? So that if you can game it, game it. Likewise, land, machinery, assets, uh, business, uh, you know, George Soros creating, um, you know, 501c3 uh, organizations to fund um, cultural propaganda and cultural fabric community organizers. Like that's putting our, and again, being clever about tax money, into things that are on our cultural fabric building. So it's really good, bro. Yeah, DBG. Yeah, society will collapse soon in key areas and we need to be ready. And that's where that's where as a gang, as a tribe, you float. You know, when 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 empire keeps descending, we're an air bubble that floats. You know, the Jews do this. They float wherever they are. The Muslims float wherever they are. The Indians float wherever they are the Amish float regardless of how society just carries on going down. That's really, and that's the negative and positive institution building, right? Tutumanga, they did it for their children and their children for you, for your children on a goes. Yeah. And we've got to have that. A righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And that's not a, that's not a, just a 401k inheritance. It's like, okay, our schools are lost. That inheritance is gone. Our, the fabric of our society is lost. The, the, the political systems have been like, we've lost so much of the inheritance that, that could, we didn't make the final baton handover of so much inheritance. Institutions are an inheritance. Christ coming back is more likely you realizing Christ in you. Yep. That's it, my brother. You know, it's, it's offensive to a lot of Christians who are victims. They operate out of a victim, wretch, orphan mentality. And they're like, Jesus, come back and save us. Christ says to his, he's about to, he's about to ascend into heaven. He says to his disciples, because they're like, don't go, don't leave us. And he's like, it is better that I go, that the Holy Spirit may come and you may be me. I'm paraphrasing here, but that the Holy Spirit may come and comfort you, that you may take the kingdom, that you may disciple the nations, that you may steward creation. All right, Rob, there's nothing wrong with extracting resources from Babylon to build your colony. The Fight Club model of selling their own fat asses back to them as designer soap. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's it. You know, we have to be, we have to understand that you chaps who are, are blessed at economy, and we're all blessed at economy. You know, I'm, I, economy is not my domain, but I'm in it, 
right? And I'm blessed. But you chaps who are specifically blessed at economy, it's like you chaps crushing are just absolutely a key part of the kingdom advancing, of, of, our, of our, our culture uh, becoming um, mature. Tutamanga, build it and they will come. Their filthy institutions are rotten from the core and many are crumbling already. Yeah, and they eat themselves. The left eats themselves. The, the thing we've got to understand, right, is we build a new institution and then they come in and subvert. And then we, we leave, build a new institution, they come in and subvert. And then we leave, build a new institution, they come in and subvert. And that's from a lack, it's our ethnic weakness, it's from a lack of in-group preference, from protecting against the liberal parasite, right? So we have this, oh, anyone can join our group, just be nice. And then like they come in, they gain power and like, well, screw you, we're kicking you out. And we're like, oh, it wasn't meant to be like that. This is terrible. And we point at the hypocrisy and we, we complain. And it's like, yeah, and you don't know how to fight uh, institutionally. DVG, uh, part of what protects so many elite progressive whites now destroying society is their trust funds that their great granddad, Robert Barron, set up for them. Yeah, you know, and that's it. Like good for them. You know, inheritance is a wonderful thing. It's time we started doing it for our children. You know, and, and isn't this a wonderful, a wonderful thought? We get to set up three, three generations from now to finally do what we wish we could have done. You know, so let's say we don't, you know, get sovereignty. Uh, we don't get um, a parasite-free life. We don't get peace and prosperity in our time. You know, the Neville Chamberlain peace in our time. You know, we, we probably won't. But that doesn't stop us from just being absolutely pumped for our children to get that opportunity, you know, for our children's children to get that opportunity and to look back and be like, yo, my granddad was a boss. He started a secret society within our family. You know, all the boys in our family, we've sworn a secret oath uh, to rebuild civilization. Uh, and my grandfather, you know, set aside land for us and finances or, or social network, like he introduced us to all these people that he met on that thing called YouTube, if you do, you know, YouTube, it's like cassettes. I don't know if you know what YouTube is. You know, it'll be a great story. W. Laser, I remember one of my professors in college said she was leaving no inheritance to her children or grandchildren, and she was proud of it. I was so confused and disappointed. Yeah, man, feminism and equality, you know, it's like, it's, it's so bitter against your own, because what is, what is a wife, her number one desire is for her children to, to be nurtured and to be to nurture her children. You know, for a woman, your status is pegged to the men in your life. So you want your husband's status to go to the moon. You want your son's status to go to the moon, right? Because it reflects on your status as a, as a wife and mother. What is a feminist inversion? I, I will denigrate my husband. I'll denigrate my children. And it's like, you hate, you hate, like the, the, the feminine energy has been twisted and corrupted to hate the very thing that God made it to be amazing at. Alrighty, let's see what I've got here. Last thing here, finding the winnable battle. So again, a lot of battles won't be winnable for us in our lifetime. Some will. You know, we things can change like this. We've got to hold the vision and keep the hope that in our lifetime we can have peace and prosperity. But we've got to hold the vision for our children. What is a winnable battle for our children? You know, so so for instance, moving to Johannesburg, South Africa is not a winnable battle for you. It's not a winnable battle for your children. It will never probably be a winnable battle in four or five generations. So going and doing that is like, dude, that's unwise. You're being basically a sadist feminist to your children. 
But let's say you move to, you know, some rural area where all your <clears throat> neighbors are Amish or all your neighbors are uh, people like you with your tribe. <clears throat> you've, you've bought 100 or 1,000 acres or even you've bought 10, 20 acres, whatever it is. And what are your children inheriting there? It's like, oh, yeah, our children are going to inherit, inherit a stable community with people they know. Uh, they're probably going to have peace. They're going to have space. They're going to have opportunity. It's like that's probably the better choice of the two, right? And obviously, it's never that extreme. Joburg or rural Indiana, like, you know, <clears throat> that's not the, the choice for a lot of us. A lot of us, the choice is, you know, being, being 10 minutes away from family versus being four hours away from family. Uh, you know, that's the hard line that we're, we're looking at. Or in some cases, you know, like guys, guys in, in, you know, South Africa or Britain, uh, you know, it's like, shucks, do I leave and go across the ocean, you know, to start something new for the next generations. <clears throat> Tutamanga, we can't change the world. So bring it home and inspire others. Yeah, exactly, brother. You know, we want to bring that scale back to local, local and practical, not global and virtue signaling and, and, or outrage global. That's it. The left are great at global and virtue signaling. The right are great or not the right conservatives are great at global and outrage. I'm outraged. It's a form of virtue signaling, right? It's a form of saying I'm outraged at drag queen story hour. I'm outraged at a million immigrants a month. I'm outraged at sex change stuff. And it's like, yeah, but what are you doing? Like, no, I'm, I'm outraged. I'm, I'm outraged. And it's like, yeah, but what are you doing? No, I'm outraged. You know, it's virtue signaling on, on our, on our side. Uh, yeah, to the point of verse, telling others what to do, show them and inspire them to choose greatness. I love that. I love that uh, one cartoon either by Stone Toss or by uh, who's the other chap. Anyway, it's a picture of, uh, of Gandhi and he's got all the corporate logo sponsors on him and the rainbow flag and stuff. And, and the quote is force others to be the change you want to see. And it's like, exactly like trying to force people, you know, it's like, stop it, go home live your own life, like be a responsible man, contribute to your community. You know, we can't control community. People are so afraid of Amish patri patri patriarchalism. They're so afraid of cult, Waco, uh, Jim Jones, uh, cult. You know, even Mark Driscoll was like, oh, he's a tyrant. He's a bloody dictator. And it's like, you, you've memed community the strength of community with a strong leader, with strong men, you know, you don't control strong men, you lead them, you inspire them, you encourage them, you, you call, you challenge them, but you don't control, you know, strong men will not be controlled uh, by other men. It's all fractal family, community, nation, then global. Exactly. So, so let's, let's ask this question for ourselves, finding the winnable battle, you know, sit down on this, I think just some takeaways for us from, from this. Think back the last two or three generations and, and just have fun, you know, thinking about who your dad was, how his life went, thinking about who your grandfather was, how his grandfathers were, how their life went, your great-grandfathers, who they were, how their life went. And, and what they should have done differently if you could go back in a time machine, that classic meme, go back in a time machine um, and, and have the two chads facing each other, grandfather, you, sh you need to move to this place. Or, you know, what would that conversation have been? Or like grandfather, good job, you know, whatever it is. Um, and maybe even have like a, a wholesome, 
you know, grandfather time machines in and be like, are you winning great grandson? <laughs> yes, great grandfather. And then we need to think about our future, you know, our future generations is where I am setting them up to win is where I am a winnable locality. Uh, and if it is, that's great. How can I improve, increase, protect that? If it's not, how could I change that? Could I influence this place in 30 years? Or do I need, is it, is it unwinnable by me? And I need to, to check other things out. <clears throat> and then defining that, what is the win? You know, we need to define, I've, I've just laid a little definition there for us of, of the peace and prosperity of our people in place and, and progeny, right? But what is peace? Is peace, um, you know, cultural peace, monoculture? Is peace, uh, you know, very, um, a certain set of, of cultural norms and laws? You know, so, so for instance, me moving down to Louisiana Bayou's, I'm probably not going to have a peaceful time fitting into French Acadia, shoot the alligator. I'm not going to fit into that culture. I mean, my children could, and, and am I going to be at peace? Am I going to have peace seeing my son grow up? And become Troy. I'm probably not. I'm not going to have peace. I'm going to be like, man, my beautiful Anglo 6,000 years of breeding have resulted in a young bayou alligator hunter of which I am not very proud. You know, so just to ask those questions of, of what culture am I grooming my, my progeny into? Um, but yeah, chaps, any other questions? And we'll, we'll wrap things up here. But what's the win? What is peace for you? What is prosperity, right? For a lot of guys, you know, my whole childhood prosperity was, you know, sweet cars, jet setting around the world, uh, you know, Dan Bilzerian lifestyle. Whereas now more than ever, prosperity for me is time. And it's, it's margin and it's land and it's nature and wildness and, and community. Like that is prosperity for me, you know. If, uh, you know, for instance, South Africa, where I grew up, you know, my, if, if, you know, God willing, peace and prosperity there would be, would be sovereignty somehow of, of my, you know, couple counties that I, I come from, you know, having like a Rhodesia-esque uh, sovereignty where like we could actually enforce law and order and it would be like the most beautiful place on earth. And I'd, I'd go home and die where I, where I was born, you know. Um, we've got to understand what is my peace and prosperity that I'm hoping for and praying for, for my children. <clears throat> DVG, when Saul was king, he made Gibeah from the tribe of Benjamin, his base. When David was king, he made Jerusalem within the tribe of Judah, his base, having kin and friends around, help them maintain power. And that's it. You know, it's building. We need to build for when the opportunities come. You know, even in our own personal lives, you know, some of us might never be destined for governmental kingship. So whatever your domain is, but we need to be understanding that God is wanting to bring us into places where we're going to need people we can trust, people we can, we have history with, people we have uh, uh, credit and honor with, because none of us can do what we're wanting to do on our own. You know, you come into a community alone the first thing you're doing is trying to find other strong men to become friends with other strong men with, 
with, you know, how can I contribute my gifts to them and how can I be, how can I be uh, served by their great gifts and strengths, you know? And, and so this is this great thing of, of clan, you know, how much more amazing than to do economy and media and governance and ministry with your brothers, with your cousins, with your nieces and nephews, with your, your extended family who you have trust built in with and you have clan-like morality, clan-like mission, culture, you know, you want to be a patriarch in your clan so that when you come into power or come into status or come into opportunity, you become a, you become a king to your clan. You know, you, you place people and you, you guide people and you, uh, you encourage and strengthen. DVG, move to where your brothers are, where blood, whether blood or spiritual kin. Yeah. And that's why it's, it's so important for us to move a lot of our, our Twitter and, and online life uh, into emails and phone calls and meetups and things like that is, you know, there's such a, there's such, you know, it is, it's there's 7,000 of us chaps, you know, we're not alone. We're not like, Oh man, am I the only guy who thinks like this? It's like, no, there's probably like 20 or 30 guys within half an hour of you who would be happy to share a, a pint and, and speak like what we're speaking now. You know, we need to make pubs great again, where like a bunch of dudes can, can show up and we can have these chats, you know, we can have these kind of like, let off, let off some pressure of clown world and be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not broken. I'm not, I'm not the only one thinking this way. I'm not shameful. I'm not condemned. I'm blessed, you know, encourage each other, push each other into, into what we're, we're made for, you know, the manabunt. So yeah, chaps, I think that was a wonderful, <laughs> make pubs great again. I think that was a wonderful, uh, uh, chat. We can always carry on chatting about this. It's such a wonderful, uh, topic for us, you know, this, this thing of rebuilding civilization of, of rebuilding tribe. Uh, and it all starts with clan and you being the, the patriarch of your, of your clan, you know, you being the, the first great start of your aristocratic line. Love you boys. Have a, a wonderful uh, afternoon further. Uh, South African chaps have a good night's sleep and we'll see you guys tomorrow. God bless.